What's going on, folks? It's your boy back again, Dr. Sean Thomas, back in the building with episode 32 of the Be More Today show. We are back, we are back, we are back in the building. And folks, I got to say, I am just honored. Uh, we have so many people who have been supporting the show and listening weekly to our, our, our Monday shows. It's been great uh, hearing you guys and your feedback about what you've been hearing the show put out there. I am in awe of you. And I got to thank our monthly supporters. We have people who support the show financially every single month. I appreciate you. Your donations are not overlooked. Um, they make me feel like I'm doing the right thing. So we will continue to do the show as always. And to be more today, friends and family out there listening to the show, I appreciate you so, so, so much. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. My quotation for today is very simple as always. And it's actually from Stephen King. He said, you can... You should, and if you're brave enough to start, you will. Fascinating. So I, I watched this week, um, I've been watching a lot of documentaries only because I am doing a lot of work from, um, from home in the morning. So I like to listen to something, either a podcast or watch something or it actually watches me. And the last one I actually watched was this thing called The Social Dilemma on Netflix. And this documentary is fascinating. Now, we all have social media, right? Facebook, Instagram, MySpace, if you're back in MySpace days, with Twitter, TikTok, all these things. And this, the, the documentary, without saying too much about it, really goes into the way that these systems make us so dependent upon using these things to the point where we're sitting there for three hours, four hours, five hours at a time throughout the week, just looking for notifications, looking for likes, looking for things that are going to just bring us back to our phones. And so much time is lost by, by doing these things. Now, I'm not saying that these things should not be used, right? Because they're great. I mean, be more say we use it for all social media purposes, advertising, et cetera. They have their place. But there's also a place where these things can take over your life. They can be the things that hinder you from doing the things that Stephen King talks about, doing the things that you want to start doing, being brave about going out there and putting that willpower in certain things. They become distractions in a way. So my, my push for you for today is watch that documentary if you have the time, because it's very, very fascinating, especially for our kids who are out there. If you have kids, you're a parent rest kids, the YouTube, YouTube kids, there's a whole thing about how that's really going to be a push for our kids in the future, which we didn't have growing up. You know, it, you know I, I'm from the, the dial-up era where you have, you have to go online and literally you're on AOL. It takes you five minutes to get online and you just look at something and it's gone because the connection is so bad. So the instant access these kids have is something that we really have to look into. But check it out if you guys have a time this week to go out there and look at this documentary. It is fascinating. And it really looks at the way we spend our time every single day. Time is precious, as I always say. So make sure that you use your time without distraction. If social media is that thing that's taking you away from where you want to be, from starting where you want to be and being brave, like Stephen King said, then make some adjustments this week for that. That's my message for you guys this week. Uh, social media is great, but don't let it take over your lives because it can definitely do that. Speaking of documentaries, I have a guest on the show today who is one of the best in getting these things done. His resume is astounding, and his name is Jason Hadrick. Now, Jason is an Emmy-nominated nonfiction producer, director based in New York. He is trained as a cinematographer and video journalist Develops his craft filming NYPD hostage negotiators, funeral directors, and exorcists. Come on, folks. A veteran with over 20 years' experience, he produced on several iconic non-scripted TV shows, including Showtime's The Circus, TLC's 90 Day Fiance, Vice's F That's Delicious, and A&E's Dog the Bounty Hunter. He created Criminal Defense, a documentary following public defenders in Brooklyn, and has overseen projects from concept through series. His documentary sort, Tribute, followed the design and installation of the Tribute in Light 9-11 Memorial. He documented the public debate surrounding the rebuilding of the World Trade Center site in America Rebuilds, a year of ground zero, and produced feature doc, Goober Notorious, which captured the story of five unlikely candidates during the California recall election in 2003. A passionate storyteller, he has experienced leading production crews around the world, directing larger-than-life talent, and consistently getting even his most challenging subjects to reveal themselves. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pets included, 
Welcome to the stage, my friend, Jason Hadrick. Jason, what is going on? Hi. <clears throat> just listening to you talk about me, all these memories of these projects just coming up in my mind that I think about the, the experience of being on those projects. And a lot of times I feel like as somebody who works in documentary, somebody who works in TV, almost similar to like when, when you take a picture and you look back at that time, that picture really shapes your memory. And so when I hear these projects and I think about them, the memory of being in that experience, I, I'm brought back to through watching them into what the experience was like. So thank you for the introduction. I, I just, before we go on, two things. One, a huge Stephen King fan when I was a kid. So that quote, <clears throat> just hearing it from him, that's surprising because Stephen King is somebody who, prolific writer, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 books. And so to hear him talk about that quote, and I think that's, Similar to the philosophy I sort of think about sometimes, it's baby steps. Baby steps is always what you need to get to where you're going. So that, that meant something to me. But also the social dilemma. I, had too, have seen that. And I don't want to give anything away to your viewers. But it's interesting right now with the pandemic and with what we're all experiencing and how social media has taken on a new role, I think, in kind of connecting us in a way that is more necessary than ever, but also with your kids. And I think there's that cautionary tale with kids. And I know you have a young daughter, I have young daughters. How do you sort of teach your kids how to be safe, but also respect that they're growing up in a different time where they need to connect now more than ever. And this is a tool that enables them to do that. And so it's like, it's one of these tools. It's sort of like fire, right? It's how do you, how do you use that tool? It can, it can cook your food, but it can also burn your house down, you know? So how do you actually take advantage of that tool, teach your kids? Um, and Social Dilemma to me was something I think everybody should watch. Everybody, especially as kids, everybody now who is in social media um, and on their phones all the time, because I think you're right. There's a, there's a, there's a challenge to separating from that. Um, but there's also like the need more than ever to connect to people, right? Absolutely. So, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Those no. two things like kind of caught me as you were talking about them. I'm glad you shared that. Because yeah, I, I watched it and it just blew my mind. And, um, you know, I thought about the, the work that you do and all the things that you've done. I mean, your resume is incredible. Uh, I'm just happy that you're actually on the show. Literally, we, we met our partners, that's wives. They know each other clearly. They, they do defense work and we met a while ago, but you came to my book launch and I appreciate you being there. That made, that made my night. And um, you actually, even with all the stuff that you've been doing um, before COVID-19 hit, we, we had a meeting. We were talking about doing some kind of production thing would be more today yeah. and video and workout and all this stuff together. And we were making some headway and then COVID-19 hit and, you know, the world changed after that, clearly. But um, I appreciate you taking the time out with me to be here today. And I wanted to know for you, Jason, you know, how your family is doing um, with all things happening, COVID-19 sure. and, and work, uh, how that's really been affecting you the last, last couple of months. A complete paradigm shift, like COVID-19. And I'm sure I know a little bit about the work you do. And I, I'm kind of inspired by what you do and the fact that you've taken this podcast and you've made it what it is and the work that you do outside of the podcast. So for me, when COVID-19 hit, my entire industry was vastly affected, greatly affected. People, um, what I've been doing traditionally for like the last 20 years is a lot of production. I go onto a location, I meet people, I interview them, I talk to them. And when I had kids, I started to move away and try to do more of post-production experience to kind of vary my experiences to kind of grow as a producer and learn as a director. Um, so when COVID-19 hit, a lot of productions just stopped. And so it's kind of changed the industry. It's also changed the industry in terms of like cable versus streaming. People are watching more TV now and sort of it changes how distribution is happening. But in terms of family and work, um, it was a shock. I feel like the whole world has had a paradigm shift. And I feel like it's one of these moments in our lives where we don't really know what's going to happen from here. You know, I feel like you can think about 9-11. You can think about the way the world changed and how it brought terrorism and brought a global experience and kind of changed New York and changed the world on that level. Um, this is a different paradigm shift and I don't know where we're going from here. It, it, it enabled me as a father to spend time with my kids and my family in a really intimate way that I think was a, like a gift for all of us. Um, and I appreciate that time. I, so since COVID-19, in terms of work, it changed production. But uh, people over the last couple of weeks, people, things have really started to pick up again because I feel like there's a need. 
and there's a desire for people who are home who want to consume media, who want to watch shows. So things did shut down, but production has found a way to pick up again. People are filming with smaller crews. I'm actually sitting at the desk right now where I've been working for the last three months and I'm working from home. I'm working with a team of 30 producers. I actually have, I'm working on two different episodes of the show, but I sit here every day, similar to this, working with my editor, working as he's sharing his screen with me, working with other producers on Zoom meetings, as I'm sure so many people in you know, New York and across the America have like turned into a working from home dynamic. So um, it's changed things and the industry has begun to, to kind of transform. But I think that the changes are, are pretty uh, longstanding. And I don't know where we're going from here in terms of production, in terms of like the world and, and just tr- sort of trying to take it day by day, production by production, if that answers. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's it's been it's been a roller coaster ride, I'm sure, for you. Um, but the fact that you can I'm always enamored with the, the fact that you can be on a Zoom call, because I'm not on Zoom calls, I'm I'm in the clinic. So when people are telling me that they're on Zoom calls doing these things and you know, you talk about production for a movie or a documentary, that to me can involve so many moving parts. So the fact that you guys are able to do that literally from home, uh, through the internet, through Zoom, what have you, that that's incredible. That that's incredible. Um, the technology has has changed so that we have a team in New York and a team in LA. They are the people who are going to go actually produce the interviews themselves, and they go. And we've been interviewing various personalities, celebrities, boxers, trainers, writers, and then we sit in on the interviews in Zoom, and we can listen in, and we can kind of interact as well. We can kind of try to figure out or do follow ups to questions. So that there's that paradigm has shifted. But it is interesting because all of my work is freelance. And so I've met this whole team of producers virtually and I've gotten and gotten to know them virtually. And, mm-hmm. and it's, I kind of am looking forward to the day when I can actually meet them, right. <laughs> you know, and, and sort of like make a personal in real IRL in real life connection to somebody who I've been working with. That's amazing. So, yeah. That's amazing. So Jason, I, I, you said you have 20 years of experience. Um, how did you get into this at such a young age? Um, and describe your journey, if you don't mind, um, sure. to be the cinematographer and the journalist that you were. You know, I, um, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I had no idea what I wanted to be in high school and I was trying to figure it out. And I, I applied to film school with an interest in, in documentary and in film and in acting and all storytelling. I just wasn't really good at writing papers and sort of formulating my thoughts in that way. But went to film school and I decided when I was in film school, I want to figure out all the different ways that I can engage film and TV. And so I took advantage of that going to school in New York at NYU doing internships. I, I had an internship with um, on crazy daily talk shows. You know, we're sort of sitting there listening to people's problems and they call up. Has you, have you or your wife ever had this problem with your girlfriend? You know, these crazy people who are calling up with their random problems. So I've, I had that experience. I worked on independent films when I was at NYU um, and I wound up working at Madison Square Garden and I was working at Madison Square Garden. I was a huge Knicks fan and I was like, you know, in the control room during the games and I would, they'd, after the game, they'd send me down and hold this microphone in front of Larry Johnson's mouth and just there, you know, so I kind of got that experience of sports TV. And when I was there, there was a filmmaker who I came to know whose name was Frederick Wiseman. And he was a legendary social commentary filmmaker. And he was filming a film at MSG. And he was just sitting there with his camera crew, two or three people. And they would sit there for 10 minutes, film a scene, and then they'd go somewhere else and film a scene. And I thought, who's this guy? This is really interesting, what he's doing. And I, um, I kind of got caught into the documentary bug of here's a, here's a scenario where you can actually go film different places and experience different worlds. I was kind of into the idea of, I got less interested in the t- film and TV set where I felt was a little controlled and I was, my mind didn't operate in the same way. And I was kind of excited by the idea of being able to go into a situation, learn about what that situation is and experience it, but not be part of it, but observe it and sort of tell the story of what that was. And so <clears throat> I met some people in a film class who came in and they were doing a project about the New York city police department hostage negotiation team. And I said, I want to work on that. And I, and I basically met them and I, and I said, I'll do anything for you guys. I just want to work on this project. And these two guys um, wound up becoming really successful and really smart guys. And so I, I started to work on that project and they gave me an opportunity. I mean, first I was driving their van around and driving to different hostage scenes. 
um, you know, literally packing up Oreos into little bags so we could have them on set. But they, um, I stuck with it and I stuck with it. And uh, at a certain point they gave me a camera and they said, all right, why don't you go film this scene over there? There's like three or four different cameras that would go to these hostage scenes. So they gave me a camera and they gave me an opportunity to go film actually with some of the emergency service unit guys who are at the front door kind of holding the door down as the negotiators are inside talking to the person who's in the hostage scene on the phone. So I was filming, they were filming in, in the negotiation van and there were other people filming various um, parts of that scenario. But we um, filmed for about six months and went to 120 different hostage scenes throughout the city. Many of them get kind of called off before um, the hostage team starts negotiating. A lot of times those are people who are actually emotionally disturbed and they're holding themselves hostage. They're barricading themselves. So the team is there, like iconic um, detectives who just love to talk and they sit there, they get the person on the phone, they just try and talk them out of their experience, out of their pain and try to like reason with them so that they're no longer going to harm themselves. People who are going to jump off of a bridge, people who are holding themselves hostage and have shut the door and have kind of threatened to hurt themselves. Um, but I was really excited about that uh, experience of going to these different scenes. I actually literally every night we would switch off between my two bosses, myself and one or two other people who was listening to the police scanner. You listen to the police scanner every night. And if the situation started to transpire, we'd literally have to meet up in a spot and race to wherever it was in the city for, for about six months that went on. So it was uh, it was a great experience. And I got to know New York and I got to see a lot of detectives who I really respected what they were doing and how this is like a small part of the New York city police department where they're really interested in, just saving lives, you know? Yeah. That's incredible. That, that's, that's phenomenal. I mean, your, your journey, um, the fact that you started, I want to say from the bottom, but you know. Oh yeah, started. no, from the bottom, for <laughs> yeah. sure. Trying yeah. to figure out what I was interested in doing, really, and found these guys. And these guys actually, because of the success of, it was a documentary that was on TV in Europe and on A&E, they started to get more projects. And because I had, film with them and because we had built a relationship they just kept on hiring me mm. and so I became um this is in 1999 2000 when they're really small cameras and so I became familiar with that format and and we'll go and we'd interview people like yourself we'll go and interview people bring a camera start to ask some questions kind of figure out what's underneath the surface for them and this is how they started to tell their stories that they were doing wow reminds me almost like a Eric Spolster kind of a story, you know, him literally being in the film room for the Miami Heat and then becoming a coach later on. That, that same progression of just being undated in that environment um, inspired you to be where you are today. That, that's, sure. that's remarkable. That's remarkable. Now, you mentioned NYPD hostage yeah. negotiations, but I want to know more about the funeral directors and exorcists. Where does that come into the story? Sure. So well, um, one of the projects that this, this same two producers did was a show about a funeral um, home in San Diego. And it was on A&E, this is like 2000, 2001. And it's, uh, there was a, <laughs> there's a funeral home. And so it's one of these shows that was kind of modeled after, um, uh, there was a show on Showtime and I can't remember it, but the idea is here's a funeral home, here's the people who run the funeral home and here's how they, how they come together as a family and as a funeral home to help people who are in need, whose person, you know, loved one has died. And so they're helping these person through their grief process as, you know, I think so many times in the, in the grief process, they're actually a business who you interact with. And so you, you need to be sensitive to their needs. You need to know how to interact with people and how to help them put that person to rest. And so that's what they do as a business in terms of running a ceremony, in terms of figuring out what kind of uh, sermon, who's going to talk in the casket and all those things are really, really important for closure. But on the flip side, there also there were three sisters and their father who were working this funeral home for for a guy who owned it, and one of the sisters was dating the guy that owned the funeral home, so they were having their own marital issues. And then the father, who was actually an ex boxer, who had who was just a like, a lovely like um, guy who loved his daughters, but was just he had issues with his daughter who was dating the guy that ran it, and so there was all this kind of fun family drama behind the scenes of this family who would come together to help these people put their loved ones to rest. So it kind of had both sides of like a back of the house, front of the house experience. Um, and it was a great show. It was really, really fun to work on. Um, after that show, about 10, 15 years later, the same production company was asked to make a funeral home show 
in Fort Worth, uh, Texas. And we went down to Fort Worth, Texas, and we actually filmed these two gospel singing twin brothers who um, were amazing guys. They had a funeral home in Fort Worth and they're twins. Um, and they would do all, they were really respected in the community because of their sermons, the way that they would sing, the way that they would preach. And um, we did a funeral home show about these two men and their wives and their lives. And uh, it was a great show. It did not actually, I was there for about four months and we shot the show and then there was actually a problem. And so the show never aired, unfortunately, but that was another experience filming with these two twin brothers, Dondre and Derek. And actually a couple of months ago, I was looking at USA Today and one of, one of the brothers was on, um, in a picture carrying George, I wanna say George Floyd's casket in Houston. Wow. He was at the front of the, um, the, you know, the procession yeah. walking and walking with the casket. So it was nice to see that these guys are still out there doing what they do. Um, but it's interesting. So I've filmed a lot of homicide detective shows as well. And so I've seen a lot of dead bodies and I film with a lot of dead bodies. And I feel like sometimes the camera gives you a, something that the kind of a, a lens in between yourself and what you're seeing, you're trying to capture details. You're trying to capture emotion, trying to capture a story, but you sort of, you don't feel the emotion sometimes. And I think that filming at a funeral home, you're, you're watching these people embalm a body. You're watching them put funeral home um, formaldehyde into a body to preserve it. And you're seeing the work that they do. Um, and I think that it's a little, would be a little creepy for some people, but I think the camera gives you a chance to sort of separate yourself in a way, you know? Um, I think it's really about the stories of the people who are doing the work and the stories of the families who are dealing with the loved one who's passed and how they, the funeral process gives, brings them closure. You know, I think that I don't, I don't know what you believe in terms of how to bury your dead and how to deal with the body cremation, but certainly the funeral industry is, um, is a big industry and caskets and burials and the way that they, um, the way that some people want that to be the way to preserve the memory of their loved one, you know? Yeah. So that was a good experience. Um, the exorcist, I only filmed this one <laughs> exorcist in South Carolina. Um, his name was Bob Larson, but I went there on a shoot for a couple of days and it was a show on A&E about like a different interesting jobs. We actually filmed Tony Robbins during that right. experience, the inspirational speaker. This is, this is a show that um, we filmed 20 different jobs, you know, anywhere from like a, um, the funeral home directors uh, to a, a bounty, dog, the bounty hunter is how I met him to this exorcist. And <clears throat> that was an interesting experience. He, uh, he would go around the country and he would give seminars and, you know, people would come to watch him talk. And the seminar itself was, was pretty uh, interesting, but the people that would come to, to kind of support him, he had like a small group of people, a team that would come wherever he was doing a seminar and after the seminar, after hours, he would kind of preach to them and he would do exorcisms for them in his hotel room at night. And this one woman was having some serious issues. And we, I saw an exorcism where he, she was convulsing, she was speaking in tongues, and he really had to help her expel this demon that was inside of her from really traumatic experiences she had had as a kid. And so it was sort of the team of people who needed him in their life that really struck me more than anything. And so the next, after I saw that the next day during the, um, his seminar, she was in the back of the room selling books or sort of at a table. And she again started to have this like experience and she was convulsing and the rest of the people had to like pull her out and he had to preach to her separately. So that was, I think that there's a lot of um, power in what you believe in your mind in terms of anything, in terms of negativity, positivity, optimism, pessimism, religion, um, exorcism, you know, the belief of, of whatever's happening with, with the devil in your mind. And so this is what this guy helped these people sort of manage and deal with. And from like a, so, a psychology experience, from a spiritual experience. And uh, I don't know, I guess I, I believed what I saw. I believe that he was helping this woman in any way um, that she needed to be helped. So yeah. that, that was my experience with exorcism. Wow. <laughs> whatever that's, wow. that's one more than I've ever seen. Um, but the, the fact that you literally are bringing these things to life, um, 
through your experiences is, is I think the, 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 the take home message for me. And I, I think when I watch documentaries, I'm always curious if the people who are doing them or any part of them, do they A, believe in what they're putting out there? Yeah. Um, and two, you know, are they putting out there because they are looking for the profit? They're putting out there because they believe in what they're seeing or they want to share the story. Um, so it always fascinates me how people get involved in these things, especially when it comes to this industry. And for you, um, watching you come from the bottom to the top has, has just shown me that, you know, the, 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 the variety can be anywhere. Um, and I always thought just we had a couple of people who have been in the industry on the show and most of them did some kind of acting or some kind of um, acting or, or something that was acting or producing or um, singing, et cetera, something in the arts at some point in time. Was that your experience at all? Do you do any oh, kind sure. of thing? Okay. Yeah. When I was a kid, I was acting and I was singing a lot and like loved to sing, was in choirs my entire life. Um, had actually some very... I had a teacher in high school who I moved to, I moved around schools a couple of times when I was a kid, but I wound up at this high school with this amazing choir teacher who um, was a better educator and a better, better inspire. She would actually have all of us sit down before class and we would sit down and she would just have us do these like breathing meditation exercises, lie down on the ground for like five minutes and <clears throat> never had a teacher really kind of treat you with respect in that way and sort of imbue some other part of, what's important about life and what's important about focus and letting go of things. So that was a really formative experience. And I'm a, I'm a fine singer, but I was surrounded by a lot of great singers and acapella choirs. And um, then as a kid, I was in plays and I, I think that I didn't really know about filmmaking, but that was interesting to me to like learn about storytelling and to sort of learn about, um, you know, being part of a story and telling a part of a story. So I was, I was really ex interested in that as and I think that probably got me interested in film and then got me interested in documentary. And I feel like the experience of being on stage in front of people and actually acting and having them respond to you and that, that is, that's pretty addictive. And, and I can imagine when I think about actors who, um, you know, the, the difference between film acting versus stage acting, I think film acting, and I don't know a lot about it, but I think there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of ways that you ex express yourself in your face, but the experience the um the adrenaline rush and i don't know if you've done acting, have you done acting? Uh, i did a little bit in in high school uh i did more performance arts like dancing and, and singing. sure so the experience of being in front of people though and like sharing and that energy is just yeah. Yeah. super it's it's an, it's really it's insanely yeah it's totally infectious so to me there's something <clears throat> i didn't really feel that energy on a film set, even as a DP, as a cinematographer, I, I couldn't translate how that energy would translate to a product, but there's something to me that's a similar thing in terms of documentary filmmaking. There's a little bit of a selfishness to the things that I'm drawn to, at least having filmed, is I wanna be in an experience that's really exciting. Like being in a hostage scene is, is exciting. Um, being, um, and seeing an exorcism is, is sort of ex exciting and actually, on the flip side of, of a funeral home and that experience is like, it's a very sensitive place. And so how do you capture a story that's really, really sensitive, that is respectful of the people that you're filming, that's not intrusive, where you're listening. I feel like the one thing that documentary has as like the lesson you can learn is, is all about listening and understanding what people are saying. And I feel like I get a lot of um, <laughs> gruff at my house for not being the best listener and I can't tell if like my experiences haven't translated or if I have like focused just to like to me listening is a real work thing and I, I don't know if I can do it all the time in the way that I should be doing it um, but to go back to your question about the idea of what motivates you to tell a story and I think that a lot of people I think that you can't help but have an agenda right you just like by the politics of who you are by how you're raised and, and so I feel like people are going into a film experience, maybe they want to expose somebody. There's an expose and they're sort of lying about it. Or you just love this subject and you want to share it with the world, you know, or you don't know what, what the story is, but you're really interested in what that story is and you kind of want to discover it as you go. And I feel like if, if it's something that really interests you, you can kind of figure out the nuances and the complexity of it as you tell that story, right? I feel like you kind of bring to an agenda and you don't know, and I think everybody has their own agenda about what kind of story they're telling as they tell it. Um, and I, for me, 
I feel like having worked on some independent projects that I was just interested in that world and kind of learning about it um, is an ideal experience as a, as a filmmaker, somebody who wants to kind of leap into a world and then jobs that I'm hired on. Sometimes you get excited about the job you want to do. And sometimes you're less excited. Um, but I feel like if you can keep on, if I can keep on finding experiences and um, worlds that I get hired to work on projects about, then that's, that's ideal for me to keep on learning things about the world as I get older, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel about this podcast, I man. I, I've learned so much just from listening to you for the last 15 minutes about this world. And we've had other people who do directing on here, but everyone's story is different. Everyone's passion is different. Everyone's journey is different. So um, you've enlightened me already. And my, my, my question for you now is looking at all the things that you've done that have been non-scripted, yeah. um, which is really, you know, reality. Um, sure. What's been your favorite uh, uh, show or your favorite topic to really explore? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I feel lucky that I try to, every project that I work on, I really try to, you, you kind of can't do your best work unless you fully commit to it. You know, unless you're fully committed to it. The last job I did, and I, I don't know if I told you about this, but the last show I did was a show about sharks for National Geographic. I did a shark show called When Sharks Attack, right? So I love the ocean. Um, I spent many, many, I spent, I spent, when I worked on Dog the Bounty Hunter, which I can talk about as well, I got to spend about eight years on and off going to Hawaii. So I, I'm a swimmer. I love the ocean, swam in the ocean a lot. And um, when I started to work on this last show about sharks, I only took the job because I love the ocean and I wanted to learn more about sharks. And it's a show about shark attacks. It's a show about people getting attacked by sharks and you have to figure out the science behind why do they do it? You, uh, you sort of have to figure out by researching, by talking to scientists, what might've happened. Was there a certain chemical in the air? I'm actually thinking that the people who are, are just listening to the radio store earlier, that they're talking about part of the, um, some, some substance that's in sharks is going to be helped as part of the vaccine for coronavirus. And I was thinking like, there's a way you could probably connect to what's happening with like death of sharks or life of sharks to some shark attack. But anyway, I got to learn a lot about sharks. I got to go to the Bahamas. I got to go to Israel and the Red Sea, interview scientists, talk to people who are bit by sharks and come up with some theories about um, what might've led to this attack at this moment. At the end of the day, I mean, there are, I think that if I remember correctly, a hundred million sharks are killed every year by people. And do you know the amount of people that are bit by a shark? every year is maybe 200. So the, the, the numbers are, are very, sharks are an endangered species. They're a wonderful thing. It's important to have them in the ocean for the health of our oceans as this top-notch predator. Um, so I learned a lot about sharks. I learned a lot about the ocean. I learned a lot about um, the ecosystem of the ocean and what's important. So every project I do, I kind of like try and hook into something that's interesting about it for me. You know, it's funny. I worked, you took, you mentioned 90 day fiance and um I'm not a huge fan of 90 Day Fiancé, but when I talk about some of the shows, that's a show that people love. I feel like that's a show that people love. They know they can't, they love to hate some of the people that are on it. They love to love them. And I learned, you know, you get into one of these shows like 90 Day Fiancé and the story is really about like, who is this couple? What is the drama that they're going through? And, and how, like any drum relationship has its ups and downs. You're sort of, this just happens to be um, the backdrop of, if they don't get married to this other person, then they're going to have to leave the country. And so there's a lot of pressure and stress that's just, you know, imbued into that situation. So it's funny because I feel like I worked on Dog the Bounty Hunter for many, many years. I had my first daughter and that show ended and I kind of like took the opportunity to, okay, so what am I going to work on next? How am I going to work on shows that um, either pursue a show that I really want to work on or work on something that I haven't worked on with a new company so I can learn about a new experience, learn about something new. So I'm, I'm sort of trying to take the, the time to figure out different projects that I can do that help me grow as a person, help me grow, gain new experiences, help me learn new things, rather than kind of working on one show and sticking with it. How do I learn new things and take advantage of that, that possibility, you know? Wow. I mean, I, I took so many things from that. I took the fact that you learn so much from what you do. Um, I took the fact that you're your most recent joy is what you're working on right now. I feel like some people just look at what they did in the past, what they, they did 10 years ago, five years ago, but you love what you're doing right now. And that to me is, is I think something that can really inspire others to know that we should always be doing the next thing. 
Um, and you're, you're really judged based on, you know, what you're doing right now, what you, is your latest thing. I talk to my, my, my coworkers at my job all the time. And, you know, we, we talk about if they want to go to their next job or if they want to transition to another thing, you know, what we look at. And I say, look, I don't care how you start. I care about how you finish. I care about what you're doing at the end. So the fact that your transition is always going to the next thing and still learning and learning and learning, I think that is a testament to your uh, dedication to your craft and your dedication to not even the physical part of your craft, but literally just like the, the intellectual stimulation that you get from these things that gives you the foundation to take that to your next project or your next thing or your next job. Um, that, that, that's inspiring to me. And that, that lets me know that we should all take a piece of that and recognize that we can learn from everything that we're a part of. Yeah. Um, the shark thing, I, I've, I've seen that a couple of times on TV. That, that's, I'm fascinated by sharks. So um, the fact that you were out there with, with them, that, that is, whoo, yes, that is hot to me. Um, and I got I, to hold a shark. I got to yeah, hold that, a shark that, that, attacking ooh, sharks. Who's... I'm jealous. I, I wish I could have been, I mean, Hawaii, yes. Let's talk about Hawaii for one. But just to hold a shark and just, yeah. they're fascinating creatures. And, and there's been so much uh, speculation behind why they attack humans and, you know, you, we grew up in the Jaws era when it came to, to TV right. shows. So that was like the biggest thing, you know, seeing Jaws was scary, scary. But recognizing that, basically, even your numbers, you said, you know, we're, we're the ones really hurting them more than they're hurting us. Sure. So documentaries for me bring that out. They, they, they highlight the things that we should really be looking at. They highlight the facts, you know, good documentaries. Highlight the facts. And I, I think you're, you're doing that. So kudos to you. I mean, sometimes you work on a project and you, you don't know how the edit's going to turn out in the end, mm. but you have to like, okay, what am I going to get out of this? How am I going to learn out of this? And I felt, all right, this show's about shark attacks, but how do, we, how do I put all my time and energy into educating people about some of these other things that we're talking about? So it's, you know, a show and a network might want to talk about fear, but okay, that's fine. But how am I going to eject anything that I can do to kind of broaden the scope of, uh, of what I think is interesting. And you know what, you mentioned something earlier about your clients and talking to people about what's next. And I think part of the fear, but also the benefit to the work that I do as a freelancer is I'm not really sure what's next. You know, I don't really know what's next ever. And so I try to like build up as many contexts as I can, but when coronavirus hit, there were several months where I, where I wasn't working. And so I feel like there's doing this kind of work when I started to get involved in it, there's a little bit of uh, not knowing what's next and sort of trusting in the process and having faith in the process. Um, but you're sort of forced to do that in this world because my job's going to end in, I don't know, a month or six weeks. And then I have to figure out what's next. You know, it's usually like three, four, five, six months gigs. And so I think so many people probably on your show, so many people out there that are in this gig economy are trying to figure out what's next. And especially with coronavirus, how do you have faith in the process? How do you know what's next? And, and I feel like so many things that are happening in our country, there's a lot of questions that we're all facing that we don't know where things are going. And so I think that we're all kind of in this, um, I don't know, as an adult who's like earning money for our family, who's trying to you know, live in New York and kind of um, keep making a living, there's a lot of questions that we have about what's going to happen in our country. And I think that we're all sort of like operating, doesn't seem like the, the past and having a pension and having a long-term job is the norm anymore, right? So I feel like we're all kind of struggling to figure that out together, you know? Absolutely. How much do you think, um, we know coronavirus clearly affected your job in a, in a very serious way, but politics, um, Black Lives Matter, those things, how much does that affect your profession in terms of sure. you, especially because you, like you say, you don't really have a, an ongoing thing. You do projects and when they end, they end going to the next one. Um, do the, does the climate, the current climate um, affect your ability to get projects? And no, I would say it's interesting because I think there's going to, we're going to be seeing a lot of stories about like black lives matter, the importance of the process. And I feel like the need and the desire for people to learn about what's happening the, with the world is not going to wane. And I think that, so one of the other shows I did was called the circus and it's about politics. And I was actually in DC during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. And so that was a pretty contentious time during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Um, and during the beginning of the, the midterm elections in 2018. And so that show actually is filming right now during what's happening with the election with Trump and um, I was, I got to be in the White House sitting, actually, I, I kind of, they thought that I was, that my crew was part of the, the Polish president came to visit Trump at a certain point. And I was at the White House at that point, filming 
the Polish president um, arrive in his limo and they didn't let any of their crew that I shouldn't have been there at the time, but, at, but they thought that myself and the person I was with were, were part of the Polish media. So they shuffled us all into the Rose Garden and we're watching like Trump and his wife and the Polish president walk by and then they shuffle them into the, uh, the Oval Office. And I didn't really even know, you know, what was happening with the meeting, but I got the chance to, to see, uh, you know, our unfortunate leader at the time in, in the, and, and see a little bit about how politics operates and see what was happening. Actually, the Brett Kavanaugh he- hearing was a little depressing that the fact that for me, the politics basically got involved and in that he got nominated. And so now with what's happening with Trump, separate issue necessarily, but I, people are still telling stories about politics. People are still telling stories and people are more interested in what's happening and how, um, Black Lives Matter pro, uh, is there are stories there to be told that are important to be told. And I feel like um, media, especially Vice, is very, is very active in covering a lot of these stories in a really on the ground way. All these news outlets that are out there are really like invested in covering change and movement and hopefully the change that's going to happen in November in our country. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, you know, I, I love Vice. I I tried to watch the circus, but it's on Showtime. I don't have Showtime, so I gotta I gotta work on that. Um, but yeah, anything that highlights again those things that we are not privy to. I mean, you were privy to a situation or even experience being in the White House that most people nowadays, especially after nine eleven, are not privy to even going in there and, and doing certain things. So um, your your access is unlimited. Um, I think about the circus. I think about the other documentary you worked on gubernatorious which I, I did some research on myself as well uh that by itself is insane and i remember that time in 03 um with the election that was happening in california and all the people who were stepping up um what was it like working on that show super fun i mean that that so i literally read an article i was like on a plane i read an article and there was a certain point before having kids where i had a lot more freedom i i was in between jobs i read this article and i thought oh my god this is an amazing story about people that are just interested in getting their voices heard in politics. And so I was interested in those fringe people. I was interested in um, the fact that in California, it was, I think it was 150, 200 signatures you needed and like $3,000 just to get your name on the ballot. So what does that mean in the state of California, which I think represents like, in some ways to me, um, is a microcosm of like progressive politics in America and all these people that are trying to get you know, that have a platform and can get their voices heard. So we went out there with the idea. I actually went out there alone. I asked a buddy of mine in Northern California and another friend in Southern California if they wanted to work on the project with me. And we just drove across the state um, for, you know, six, eight weeks meeting with various candidates as they were trying to get their voices heard. And what happened during that election is I think a lot of like 50 or 60 of these candidates who were lesser known decided, all right, we don't really have a voice in this process so how are we going to get our voice heard? We're going to form this collection. And they called themselves like, I don't I think they called themselves the governors or the coalition. And they basically formed their own coalition. They would meet like every couple of days and they, they actually got invited. So I don't know if you remember that Schwarzenegger made his announcement. He was running for governor against Gray Davis on the Jay Leno show. And so these candidates, like he made his announcement, oh, I'm going to run for governor. And, and I think maybe Leno knew, but the way the laws work are that if you have equal time on a network like that, then the network has to let all the candidates have the same amount of time. So Jay Leno invites all of the candidates to be on his show, but he makes them the audience. He doesn't actually let them be on stage. He makes them <laughs> part of the audience. So all these candidates are going to the show. We like follow them as they go to the show and, you know, they want to make their voices heard there. And then they, you know, they don't really have a chance against Schwarzenegger. You know, he's a massive personality. So they decide we're going to actually, follow him along his journey along California. Um, and we're going to like hire a bus and we're just going to go to all of his rallies and then we're going to, you know, have our voices heard. We're going to canvas and then we're going to start protesting. They think they started to get more and more frustrated because I think Schwarzenegger's people were trying to like get rid of them and they were sort of having their voice heard. So um, it was fascinating to see people who for some reason, whatever it was, wanted to have their voice heard and had an issue. I'm sure you know people in your life that are pretty, <laughs> you know what I mean? serious about their politics, serious about an issue. And if they had the chance and the platform and they thought that they could run for governor, they might throw their name in the hat just to kind of further their cause in some way. And I think that's what, what was happening out in California at the time. Um, 
it was funny too because I spent a long time after we shot the film editing and trying to figure out ways to get the film out there and it played in a couple of film festivals but we went back to California about 10 or 12 years later and went to a couple different schools in California and showed the film and these are college students who are at the time they were probably seven eight years old and they had a memory of it but then seeing it 10 12 years later all these memories came back and they were like learning about the politics that was happening in their state when they were kids. And I think that it was really interesting for them to see something that had happened that they kind of had a, uh, an experience, but they didn't really understand in the same way. And I think the film helped share that, that experience of what was happening in their state with them. Yeah. I mean, that, that's why documentaries are so awesome. They're timeless, really. You can do something, that, you know, even now, if you do something for this time now, like COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, this election that we're, we're looking forward to kind of, but not really. And, you know, our kids will see this thing 20 years from yeah. now and they can say, wow, mom and dad, during this time, what was it like? And it, yeah. it, it bridges that gap of time. And I don't know if, if you've seen a film called Whitney that was, on, that was on Hulu about Whitney Houston. Oh. But I, oh my God, I caught this film and there were various little moments of what was happening during popular culture at the time um, and how she was a reflection of the society. I really loved, like she's a tragic story, but... Um, I think the film was really interesting and in sort of trying to uncover who she was and what she meant to the moment. Did you, did you get a chance to see it? So my friend Yaya was one of the people who acted in the real life version of it. I don't know if the, the documentary or this is a... I'm talking about a documentary on Hulu, okay. but... I, there, but... I didn't see that. Yeah, so I, I need to watch that. I heard about it when it came out. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And I do love what was it. Your, what was your friend's experience working on the film? Oh, she loved it. She was, she was honored to do it, for one. I mean, she played yeah. Whitney on the, on the, in the movie, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, she, I'm trying wow. to get her to show at some point in time too. She loved, she loved doing it. She was honored by it, et cetera. Um, looking at the tragedy of her life and the, the accolade that she got, clearly it was, a, it was a tough role for her to play. Um, but I need to watch that myself. And, and, you know, as a Whitney fan, I'm surprised I haven't seen it yet, to be honest. Uh, something I have to definitely watch. Sure. Yeah. My last question for you before okay. the break is you and I have partners who are attorneys and sure. they are attorneys in the criminal defense world. So I'm very curious about your creation of this criminal defense project you did. Yeah. Um, and was it inspired at all um, you know, by, by what you know in terms of the defense system uh, in New York, or was it a separate thing that, that came about? You know, um, it was very much inspired by Amanda, you know, my partner, and her experience and getting excited about being a public defender. She, she interned for legal aid in Brooklyn when she was in school. And when she was interning, I met another filmmaker producer who happened to wind up going to law school with Amanda. And the person that Amanda was interning for was this very charismatic, uh, I don't, have you ever met Adam Heyman? Do you know who yes, Adam Heyman? I okay, have. so I have. meeting Adam Heyman was kind of an inspiration in of itself because passionate about what he does the guy is just so uh charismatic and such a, a believer in the cause and such a crusader and so meeting him and then meeting other lawyers who at who also are similarly inspired by the message by the mission of helping people and of sort of finding um justice for people who are underrepresented and that story i feel like when we were filming and when we got inspired by that there wasn't as much um, of that type of storytelling or, or that story wasn't as, as, as important or it wasn't as widespread as it is now. And I feel like at the time we thought it was important to kind of talk about people who are crusaders for this mission, that it doesn't matter um, whether somebody did something, whether they didn't do something. There's all these other circumstances surrounding their lives, what led to that. And then they deserve an equal uh, say in the justice system because the stack is decked against them. The stack is decked against people who are accused of crime. So how do you give those people and what's important about giving those people equal say and equal justice in our, in our time. So that, yeah, it was a combination of Amanda and a combination of meeting people that she was interning for who were passionate about it and figuring out a way to kind of talk to legal aid and then agreeing that it was an important story to tell. So I, I, I like that clearly as everyone knows, my wife is also in the same work, defense, criminal defense and being around these people every day, you see the struggle, you see the um, dedication they had to put into these 
these stories because again, our system is so crazy, especially in New York City. Um, and that story needs to be shared with everyone. So I'm glad that it's out there for the world to see what actually happens. And you know, in in a world where we talk about social media and documentaries and fake news, it's just good to see the truth come out in a way that is hopefully going to change the minds of many to really see what really happens with our system and the real issues that our system really has. Um, so thank you for just for doing that work. It's, it's really, really appreciated. If you're just joining us, folks, at this time, this is episode 32 of the Be More Today show, we're here with Emmy-nominated nonfiction producer-director Jason Hadrick. He is my guy, and he has been doing so many things, uh, so many projects. He's been so many places, and his story is inspiring to us for so many reasons. But at this time, Jason, i got to ask you, um, we've been asking everybody what the phrase Be More Today means to them. You've mentioned it a couple times in the show already, but I'm curious if you had to define it in any way. What does the phrase Be More Today mean to you? Sure. You know, um, that's a good question. I feel like, I feel like especially now with coronavirus and with the unknowns out there, to me, be more today is like a little bit about taking it step by step and trying to be self-aware and and conscientious in your thoughts, conscientious in sort of that the decisions you make affect more than just yourself. And so how do you bring awareness to that idea that um, especially living in an apartment with two children and Amanda, small apartment, the way that you act, the way that besides my work, I feel like the, the home life and what we're experiencing now being in New York, um, especially you feel like your decisions and your attitude and the way you're going to approach the situation is more important than it was when there were other institutions who were taking care of your kids. You were outside of the house more. So I feel like there's a lot, the impact that you have in a day to day with your family is more um, more relevant, and I think it's more it's compounded by by what's happening. So I feel like the situations and the like. If somebody gets upset in my family, how do we how do we manage that so it doesn't multiply onto the next person? And sort of, I mean, not to be like nitty gritty about it, but I feel like we're spending a lot more time with our families. And so whenever we can get outside too in New York, I feel like it's such a a great experience to go outside to kind of have some space and to sort of be in Brooklyn right now. But um, yeah, I think um, being more today is is a little bit of being, how does your immediate day to day impact your family, impact who you are, and then still trying to like move my projects forward, move myself forward, grow as a, as a, as a person and sort of take baby steps. I mean, there's 10 films that I want to make. And so how do I like just take baby steps on each one so that, who knows what step is going to lead to the next contact? Who knows, you know, how this person might deepen a story in a way that's going to make it more real mm. and more, you know, come to life. So. Mm. Mm. I love it. Now you and I have talked about a couple of different things, but um, as you know, you were at my book launch. So I, I thank you for coming for one. Um, and I wrote this book, be more today, a 40 guide to a better version of you. And in the book, I talk about these steps to greatness. They're basically these steps that people, um, are inspired to do to either start something, stop something, or have some kind of goal for their life. So I'm curious, Jason, director wow. Jason, Emmy-nominated Jason, um, what's one thing that you wanted to start doing or have already started to do uh, for 2020? Well, it's interesting because I thought of, I th- I'm thinking your your book launch and and you're so so uh, good and focused on health. And it's about like how, like how your inner person and how building your strength and, and how sort of your physicality helps you in, in life. And I am a pretty committed swimmer. And so I've been swimming for most of my life and coronavirus really stopped. My, the, you couldn't go to the gym, you couldn't swim. So I started to bike more. I've been biking, bike up around Prospect Park. And um, I feel like as I've been sitting, I've become way less able to sort of get myself outside. So I think I have to, I'd love to sort of figure out how to be more inspired to kind of stay physically fit. Um, But one thing that I think actually I've been thinking about more and more that I try and do more is meditate. I think meditation and the chance to sort of like clear your mind, because I feel like your mind can get pretty wrapped up in in thoughts and sort of, if you give yourself the chance to meditate and, and relax and remove yourself, then I'm trying to figure out a way to make that a more regular practice actually. Yeah, that's a good, that's a yeah. good thought. Do you um, meditate? Do you, do you, uh, 
Uh, so yeah, I you know I pray, I meditate. Um, you know, I, I actually I, I've been getting up. Uh, I go to bed with my daughter because she sleeps now around eight thirty, which is awesome. Wow, uh, eight thirty. Yeah, we we worked hard for that. School, school has helped that a lot. Kindergarten is amazing. Um, so yeah, she's in school now. So basically, she's in bed by eight thirty nine the latest. And I usually because I come home so late, I'll go to bed with her at nine o'clock. So I'll wake up at three because or four uh and i'll do my work because my thing is i i, I really want to spend more time with her and i don't want to just come home and do more work at work um and last year i talked about trying to be superman at work wow. and at home so i said you know if we're gonna do all these things which i'm fine doing all these things i like being active i want to come home and i want to put some time and effort into spending time with her so if i come home i don't do any work while she's awake i'll do while she's sleeping so i'll go to bed with her at nine i'll wake up at four and i'll do my work from four until seven or I work out, you know, in the morning or I'll meditate or do my devotional or my prayer, whatever I'm doing in the morning. I have someone who I talk to every day um, for about a half an hour in the morning. We just talk about feelings, what happened with the day before that, how we're doing. And we pray together um, every single day. And that becomes my, my meditation. That becomes my, all right, the world's about to happen. Uh, or my workout is my thing. The world's about to happen. Yeah. Let me just put my body through this, this time of me, whether it's like, this grunt time of exercise, physical activity, or this like calm, serene time of just reading uh, the word or the Bible, what have you, praying, meditating. And then I start my day after that. And that, that keeps me grounded. That keeps yeah. me pretty, pretty focused throughout the rest of the day. Yeah. That's yeah. great. That's a little inspirational to me because I feel like I actually, when my kids get home, I sort of try and spend time with them. And then when they go to sleep, I actually have to usually get back to work for a couple hours. And so um, and I find that to be relaxing to be able to work when they're when they're home. But I feel like the meditation and starting your morning and, and getting yourself like your mind right is. I want to be able to do more of that because I feel like that's important. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. it's I'm hard. Gonna... I mean, I'm a morning person, so like, like even today, I I was up at three o'clock today. Why? I don't know. I just could not sleep. So I was like, you know, yeah. let me get up and do some stuff. But nighttime, I'm I'm sleep mode. Like when I get home. And if I'm done from a long day, I literally am a robot. I just turned So I, I couldn't do what you do when the kids go to bed. I, I would be not productive uh, yeah. after a certain time. So everybody does their thing. You know, it's whatever's best for you. Yeah. Um, what's one thing you wanted to stop doing or have already stopped doing for this year? What's one thing I want to stop doing? Um, hmm. So many things I want to stop doing. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, uh, I want to stop. Oh, you know what? I think I need to be a more patient person. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, I need to sort of like, this goes along with meditation, reacting, you know, just like stop reacting, start like, and I don't know if you can tell from the way I'm communicating with you. I'm the type of person who doesn't necessarily think before I talk. I just talk, unfortunately. And so I just sort of like want to sort of give myself um, a little bit of thoughtfulness before I speak. And like, we are a lot trapped in a small space. L observe what's happening. Don't react to things. And I feel like there's a little bit of like, I want to stop reacting in the immediate way to my surroundings and give some pause, sort of like goes along with the meditation, like give some pause and sort of come at things with a different mindset of, of like looking back and sort of taking some of the skills that I've learned on a film set where I'm in charge of 10, 12 people. I'm seeing a, a situation unfold. Okay, how do I actually film this situation? And maybe when I'm at home, looking at the same way at a situation and sort of thinking about how do I enter into this situation and sort of manage it in the way that's going to be best for everybody involved. And so it's sort of like taking a step back from what's happening, I think, um, was, is something. And also, yeah, I think that that would be important for me looking at looking at now and, and the, the new paradigm is that it's a personal thing not really a work thing but that's a personal thing you know i would not have guessed that you were one to speak first um at all um but yeah i mean that, that's that's a good goal to have patience is, is key especially i think you know if you're in new york city it's it's people who are not from new york city might not get it but if you're in new york city it's just a thing we're just not patient in general like light turns red or light turns green and people are already honking after two seconds one second whatever so it's just it's that thing and and i think it's something that we all could work on just being a little more patient um including myself um whether it's 
for certain things at work or even at home? Because those things, like you said, are different. Uh, the way we respond at home and at work are, can be different in terms of what we're trying to work on. So uh, I'm in with you on that. You have a car, right? You have a car? Yeah, we have a car. Okay. Yeah. So when I, when I think about New York, I think about how do you be a, the best uh, part of the driving world in New York. And New York is about going ahead and going with the flow. So you're right. There's a certain balance of how do you sort of like go with the flow to be part of what makes New York work but also sort of give some space and not react to things and sort of like give some pause. So it's a balance there. Yeah, yeah. definitely a balance. Uh, one goal you, you may have for this year or even for next year. Yeah. You know, I do have goals. And like I said, the project I was working on with you, it's sort of like, how do you kind of take on some projects and, and make them happen? So there's, there's a couple, there's actually a couple projects that I'm working on right now that are independent that I've sort of been like, have been um, percolating and it's just sort of, taking steps forward on in each of those projects because I feel like, like your Stephen King quote about moving forward. I feel like uh, once you commit to a project and documentary and anything, you're going to live with it for a while to make it work, right? The book that you wrote, the, your, your, your plan, if you want to commit to something, you know, you're going to live with it for a year. So there's some hesitation. And I think that before when I did the project about the Tribune and light about uh, rebuilding of New York city, about the criminal defense, um, I didn't have as many responsibilities in my life. And so now it's sort of about, okay, I have these responsibilities. Don't let them get in the way of moving ahead on more projects that I, that I want to tackle and conquer. Um, so it's sort of about sort of pushing things forward on a personal level and, and find, and, and that's very general, but um, that's what I, I'm always trying to do. That's what I'm always trying to do is like working on a, a few independent projects and push them forward. Awesome. Yeah. Any final tips, advice you want to share with aspiring directors, producers, yeah. um, or anything you want to share with our, our audience? You know, I think that for me, a big advantage was finding people that I could work with, that I could learn from. And I feel like it's hard right now with Corona because uh, there are people aren't hiring interns, people, there's no in-person, you know, situation. So I feel like as much as, you know, it's how do you, how do you kind of make that work? So I feel like social media networking sites about TV and film. I know there's a bunch on Facebook are good ways to kind of get involved in conversations to find out what's happening. I'm actually a member of the WGA, the Writers Guild, and they have different meetings and they have different events where they nurture young people who are uh, interested in film. There's actually a pretty good community of the WGA East. Um, and so I feel like I really benefited from a lot of luck and from being in the right place and meeting people and sort of inserting myself um, into getting, uh, working for free for people. So the other thing is if you want to start a project and it's an independent project and you really believe in it, I think it's just about taking the first steps, go out and film with somebody for 10 minutes, film with somebody for half an hour and sort of like anything, it's like a little snowball. It, if it's either going to go some, it's either going to keep rolling down the hill or it's going to melt. And so you have to figure out and you have to kind of like take those steps to see where something's going to lead you. But I think it's only through taking a couple of steps will you know if the project has life or if it if it doesn't. And it's only gonna, you're you're the only one who's going to push the project forward. You know, absolutely, so, yeah, absolutely. Jason, thank you so 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 much for being a guest. Thank I'm you. Thirty-two of the show, you've made it come to life. Listen, before I go, I want to tell you, seeing you, hearing about you, you're you are a role model as a father, as a partner, as just an inspirational person. So I appreciate you letting me kind of share some of my struggle because you inspire me and just kind of your relationship, you as a father and you as a business person and everything you do is inspirational. So I appreciate just the fact that you even thought of having me on your show and, and you inspire me. Thank you so much, Jason. I really yeah. appreciate that. Seriously, that, that means a lot coming from you. And uh, yeah, we're going to get something together. We're going to work on it. Yeah. Whatever it is, we're going to make I it happen. So. Yeah, whatever we can. Um, folks, again, our quotation from today is from Stephen King. And he said, you can, you should, and if you're brave enough to start, you will. Make this the week where you say, you know what? No more excuses. Let me get out there. Let me get some <laughs> stuff done. Be brave and put your foot down. And again, there's still some months in the rest of this year. You have time to go out there and, and get your goals done. And if not, 2021 is right around the corner. This is a great time to start putting your goals into place now. So make this the year where you say, you know what? I'm going to make sure I'm brave enough to start and I will. 
The Be More Today show is everywhere, folks. We're on all social media platforms, Anchor, uh, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, CastBox, Apple. We are all over the place. So please subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Right now, we're heard in 25 countries. So thank you so much for your support. Yes, we are growing big time now. And it's all thanks to you guys following us every single week. So we appreciate you. Uh, Continue to go into our website, bemoretoday.com. We can find uh, my book. It's on Amazon and it's also on our site directly. And the electronic version is also out there as well. So if you want the Kindle version, you can also get that on, on, on Amazon. Uh, on YouTube, you can find our workouts that we're putting out every single week. So I do Sunday workouts for the community at nine o'clock on every Sunday. And I've been posting the workouts for this, for this uh, period. So if you're still virtual, you want something during the week, go on our Be More Today uh, YouTube page, subscribe on there. You can find all the workouts I've been doing for the last five months are going to be on there. For those of you who are runners and bikers, our Strava group is live and growing. So if you are a runner or a biker and you want to be in a part of a community, go on Strava and find our Be More Today group on Strava. We are on there and we are growing. We love to see you out there. And this show will be actually broadcasted on there. At least the link will be uh, every single Monday as well. If you want to support us in any way, Be More Today, the Be More Today webpage, you can go on there and you can give us any donations that you want that help us to bring on our guests for the week and to keep the show going. So we really appreciate that as well. And if you want to send any thoughts to us about either your thoughts on the show or people you want to see on the show, send us an email at more the number two day at gmail.com. As always, the Worst Flight Podcast comes out every single Wednesday. That's our sister brand for Be More Today, our, our Under Our Umbrella. And they're doing great things to support the Words for Life podcast as well. And folks, episode 32 is in the book. So as I always say, have a good day, have a good night, have a great life, and continue take your steps to greatness to be the best version of you. Peace. I'm gonna be a better version of me.